Renee Zellweger in 2019 is not Jerry Maguire. Renee Zellweger. No, it's not. I've seen She's her. Very not. She like her face actually. Moves. I saw Bridget Jones like two or something. I don't know. She, her face actually moves when she emotes. Now it's kind of crazy. solve what else can you solve money what what game stuff can you solve money i mean there's there's pay to win games <laughs> yeah see with that that's the bad side of solving games solving games with money you don't want to do that come on i mean you come can on, play folks. almost any if you were to ignore that you can play almost any game with like a not terribly expensive computer that's true that's true there's the there's lowest a, common denominator is a console so as long yeah. as you can beat that you can play the game well it's not even that anymore i mean Google Stadia looks like it's a game changer. Yeah, potentially. It looks like it's a game changer. The the demos that they were showing, uh, they were showing the new Doom game mm-hmm. playing on a like a two hundred dollar Chromebook. Yeah, but I mean the thing is, you still have to use a controller. So you still have to use their controller. What are they going to do with like a hundred and four key and key rollover keyboard? And they probably would be able to do it. You can use their controller though. Yeah, but you can't. You can't use keyboard mouse. I bet you probably could. I don't see why you wouldn't. You're going to have to edit out like every single cough. That's fine. You're not going to be able to do that. I mean, you can just buy the mute switches. It's fine. I'll show you which one's to order. I mean, I wouldn't be able to mute fast enough. I would just be like, Put on your foot, bro. They have, they have that? Yeah. Why don't you just, can't you just make a mute switch by, isn't there like a RS-232 into this thing? They, has they mute click and pop. No, you like have, that's the mute switch right there, right? One of these guys? No, those are not mute switches. What do you what are you talking this about? This box, these all these things you have doesn't have a mute switch. You're no, the, let's go over this. So this box that he's referring to is called a Dynamics Processor. This is yeah, a yeah. Behringer MDX 4600. Oh, it's dude. a little bit older. Yeah. I got it for I used one for cheap off of uh, eBay. What this does, it has it gives you four channels of yeah. all the voice processing that you would need to make a sound as wonderful as we do. All right. You've got your noise gate at the front which basically cuts out anything that is quieter than what our voice is. You've got, but not coughs. For not sure. coughs because coughs are as loud as our, our voices are, right? You've mm-hmm. got your controls for your compressor and then you have a, a limiter on the end. And that's it. And that's all you really need for, for voice. And you have four channels of this and it works beautifully because our USB input device, audio device has four inputs. And it's rack mountable and it gives me all the control. Now, that's the stuff that you can do in post, but one, you can't monitor while you're doing it. Mm-hmm. Right. And two, editing stuff in post takes exponentially longer to do than to have it actually just printed on the actual waveform when it goes in. Yeah. Makes sense. So it was worth it. It was 100% worth it. Made my life so much easier. Saved, it has saved me literally probably 100 hours at this point. Or I think I paid maybe $80 for it shipped to my door. I mean, you're at more than an hour per dollar. It's, it's value. And it's, and it's only going to keep saving me more money for more time as, as time goes on. But it can't stop coughs. Oh my God, I can't stop coughs. I, I mean, I've been sick for like two weeks, like a week. I don't know what to say. I mean, I was coughing not last week. I think the week before. I had a couple of coughs. Your a couple cat, of coughs? I've had like a million coughs. Your cat was trying to kill me without yeah, touching Yeah, well, me. that's, you know, that's, that's, that's allergies. That's not like, I've had a cold for a week now. Thank, thank you, parents, for giving me that one. Mm-hmm. I feel like I would like cats if I wasn't like disgustingly allergic to them. Cats are pretty cool, I guess. Cats are okay, I guess. Most of the time. Really? 
What? I don't know. I just like really. The, come on, guys. Let's talk about gaming. Who cares about screens? Really? really? He's. Got, I'm pointing at the fact that he has a WWDC a cool, wallpaper on his phone. Yeah, right it's now. a cool graphic. It doesn't matter what it's for. Okay. All right. Look at this one. I have the. Uh, I have the new background for iOS 13. Oh yeah, is that the is that the beta? I don't know the beta. No. Oh, you don't have the actual OS yet. Oh. No, the beta apparently is not very, not very smooth. I guess it's, it's pretty for early sure a beta. Right now, right? Yeah, it's like they said that it's not even recommended for developers to use day to day. I mean, you still got to test your apps on it. Well, they would use it on a different phone. They mean like day to day phones. They said it's not recommended for day to day. No, but uh, yeah, okay, I see what you're saying. Like, don't actually use this. Yeah, don't use it. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, makes sense for them to do that. There are various levels of betas. There are oh. varying levels. There are betas that are like essentially done. Like, for example, the uh, the Magic Gathering Arena client is technically still in beta. It's been in beta for like two years now. It's hundred percent. It's hundred percent. Don't don't call zero, it a beta, man. What's zero the problems. Well, I think Fortnite is still beta. Fortnite is technically still beta. Um, there are a lot of things that are technically still beta. Visual Studio Code Insiders is technically beta. Forever beta. Chrome Canary is technically beta. Forever. Forever. Firefox Developer Edition. Forever, ever. Beta. Although I do really, really like the Developer Edition uh, logo and the colors. Like that dark blue. Yeah, but I mean, you still use, really use, nice. use Firefox. I mean, that's a lot of the reason why I use Chromium on my Linux machines is because of the logo, because it's blue. I don't know what I have on mine. It's marketing. I think it's, it's green. Online, my Linux computer. I don't know what it is. I think it's Chrome itself. Chrome, actual Chrome. Yeah, I think it's uh, on Linux Chrome. would just be the regular Chrome logo, the rainbow one. No, I have something weird. It's green. I don't know why. You need to check your monitors because Chromium is blue. Regular Chrome is the regular Chrome it's green. everywhere. It's green. I don't know. Unless it's a custom icon. Uh, maybe budget. they're giving you a uh, yeah a placeholder icon or something. But I don't know why they'd have a placeholder icon of Chromium. That doesn't make any sense. I mean, I installed Chrome early on, but it actually installed Chromium. And then somehow now I have Chrome and I don't know. Linux is confusing. I if, it was on a, if it was on a Mac, I would just drag the icon to my applications folder and I would delete the old one. I mean, I would have, I have both on mine. I'm typically using Chromium just because that's the first thing that gets installed when I run my installation script on a new, on a fresh, clean. I don't even slide. have an inst installation script yet. It's just bash. I know how to make them. <laughs> I just don't have one. I never, I never subscribe to that idea of like ansibling your own computer. Well, uh, a lot of places you don't have to do Ansible. You just have to have literally just a Bash script. So. Yeah, but then you got to deal with like, you know, figuring out if you're going to curl this thing from this place, if you're going to do this from this place. And Ansible's a little bit easy. There's like a, there was a package that one, a developer used a long time ago that I knew that was an Ansible package that would provision your own computer and it had the ability to connect to like Brew. So it would have, it had already came pre-bundled with the books. What do they call them in Ansible? The, uh, Playbooks. I think it's a playbook, yeah. Playbooks. And the playbook had like the brew one and you just be like, I want you to install like SQL, all these things and it would just do it. Yeah, that makes sense. That's the same idea, but the thing with yeah, most Bash Linux. How many Bash scripts have you written in your life? I've written a lot. I've they're written not a bunch fun too. To like, they're not fun to write. They're not fun to write. That's why you write it once. Yeah, but if things change, you got to update them. With the well, Ansible one, you, it abstracts all the pulling from curl and all this crap and all these places, these distributions, installation, GPG keys, all that stuff gets provisioned or figured out for you. And then you just say, I want, I want to install whatever. The only things it. that I update on my install script is, oh, I installed this new piece of software today and it works. I'm going to keep it and I want it. So let me go update. Let me go do this, commit that to my Git and then boom, done. So then I'm only adding stuff. No, it's, it's all in the typically the Ubuntu repo. 
that comes with the thing. Or there's a PPA for it that you can install via command line also that takes care of that. Then you got to make well. like a bash array of like PPAs to install. And no, you don't. Iterate through them. There's this thing called and and. Yeah, but I mean. That and it's, is, just a, it's just a quench. You can watch it. I don't know. One day I'll think about that if I ever have time to do that. Well, you're ne- you can't do that on Macs anymore because uh, Bash is no longer the... They're not going to ship Bash anymore. You see no, this? they're still going to have Bash. It's not going to be default. Bash will always be A there. very, very old Bash. Very, very old well, Bash. Yeah, this is all it. entirely around... And what we're talking about is that uh, <laughs> Mac announced that uh, they are switching their default shell to Zish yeah. from Bash. Mm-hmm. And this is all entirely because of the licensing of Bash. Well, we got to change that license. Uh, it's not, no, it's, it's, they don't want that there's, uh, I mean, it's your shell, it's your terminal. Like it has to have access to certain system components, right? And that's part of the, the GPL license that it's under that you have to allow this thing to do this thing, to do the thing that it's intending to do. And the good folks at Apple are like, no, we're not going to, we don't want anyone touching the thing. I'm like, it's the shell. Like, what are you talking about? <laughs> it doesn't make any sense. You can't switch back to it, but again, it is. An older version of Bash, most people probably won't have any problems, but I have seen situations where having the old Bash does create issues with like symlinks and all kinds of stuff. So it, it, it's just, that's an odd one. It's an odd decision. I don't understand it. Well, you know, if you actually care, you'll install whatever shell you want. That's true. I know people that run Zish. I know people that are big fans of Zish. So that might be a good thing for them. I don't know. I have never had a problem where Oh, my Zish didn't do something that Bash should do. <coughs> I don't think I've ever ran into an issue. That's true. I personally have not, but I have seen stories, so who knows? There's always stories. Somebody's always got a story. Everyone's got a story. Everybody's got a story to tell. It's Everyone's a little, unique. Little bit, Everyone's a little snowflake. A little bit, a little bit scary. Yeah. A little bit scary. What are, what are some stories that you are working with these days? Are you writing any stories? Are you playing any stories? What you got going on? Oh, man. Uh... Have you read any stories that make you go, hmm? I haven't read a book in a long time. I mean, you read WeWork the other day. Oh, that's true. I did. I guess I did read a book. Um, I'm a positive influence on your life, Greg. This show has been a positive influence on your life. I haven't even finished that book. Even I said I would. Um, no, I mean, I just read a lot of Reddit, which isn't very useful. Actually, I would disagree. I think Reddit is incredibly useful. Well, okay. Occasionally. On anything that you're looking for, if there is a depth of information that you need, then Reddit's going to be a place to go. I would posit that that is the case. If you're into any kind of hobbies. Yeah. And you need to deep dive into all the weird little things, all the crevices, Reddit is the place to go. Do you not learn about Destiny from Reddit? But reading Reddit, like what the meta is? What's I mean, that weird little... What's the, what's the best spot on that map? Like, how do you counteract this gun? Uh, yeah, I mean, I did, I did learn that the, the, in the new season, they just launched this thing called the Menagerie. Ooh, what's that? It's basically like a mini raid that's similar to the Leviathan, which is the first raid that they had in the game when it first came out. Ooh. There's like sections of it that are similar to the Leviathan. Like you run, there's like this thing called the gauntlet where you run around the outside of the boss room in like this little maze. And they have the same thing there. So like people that don't raid can now experience what it's like basically to raid but instead of having to like defeat like really, really powerful bosses to get loot, there's like a time limit and there's six bosses. And if you really suck, then you have to fight all six bosses before the final boss. And if you really, really suck, then you can't beat the final boss and you get nothing. But there's no penalty to like not beating 
Well, at least in the this version, I don't know about the heroic, but in this version, there's no penalty to like taking too long to beat each first stage. So if like teams aren't very good at coordinating, so you can, can try as many times as you want. They can still get to the boss. Okay. So the relevant thing to what you were just saying is once you get through to the end, they give you like 300 seconds to like hang out in Leviathan before it like kicks you out of the zone. Like once you're done and you can actually run back to a previous zone in there's like the six rooms, the six bosses from the final room, you can run back to any one of the other six rooms and then you run back to the chest and it resets and you can get another piece of gear. Oh man. Yeah. But you found that out on Reddit, right? I found that on Reddit. Yeah. Yeah. See, you still have to use the material that you need to get the thing, but like you can run the menagerie once and then get like four pieces of we- four weapons out of it. That's pretty good. Which you would have to run the menagerie four times to get four weapons if they fix Some it. Some 14 year old kid somewhere ran the <sighs> menagerie and then ran back and realized you could open the chest again. Yeah. I mean, there's so many players that just realize these things. Yeah. But I think that they left that in there probably. Someone left that bit of code in there when they were testing the chest. Oh, they didn't have a Boolean to switch off? Yeah, they must not have switched the Boolean off. Ha- they- has gotten loot. <laughs> yeah. It's always true. <laughs> or yeah. always false. Maybe, maybe they did write the Boolean, but they forgot to do the check. It's like while, tr- or while false or something. Yeah, I don't or know they what didn't they do. The loop right. No, I think they. La- I think that they do these things to like test it, and then they forget to remove it, or there's just some kind of. I don't know. I I always think about like game programming and like how ridiculous it is. Oh yeah, the amount it's of gotta be the amount of if if else is that we do just in our regular jobs, just for web stuff is pretty. It can get pretty tricky with like ternaries and nested conditions. But and they've got to like have they've got to have some other method by which that they do that. Because it can't just be a bunch of well, there else's. there are so that's where physics engines come in, right? Where it defines a lot of those rules for you. Yeah, but like, like even, when you jump, you have to come back down at some point. Yeah, yeah. There's the physics engine, and then there's the ability for you to know where you are as waypoints. Like I get all that, but even if you know where someone is in the three dimensional space of the map, they when they get to a certain place in the game, a certain position within the map, or a certain threshold, like distance threshold from something, it triggers like essentially a location aware ping. Yes. But that logic that then does the if statements is like, you know, if this level, if this, if this user, if that, if this, start that. There's got to be some better way to do that than like a bunch of, I mean, I I would love to see like, just like one function of like when you enter like a game zone. Game development is incredibly complex. I just want to see what it looks like. It's incredibly complex. And this, this has nothing to do with even like, the actual building of the animations or like yeah, the actual yeah. drawing of the art or any of the frames or ah. any of that stuff. Space Force Sniff. Space Force, man. Yeah. The show's our lives, man. The show is everything that we do in real life. Yeah. It is us raw and uncut. Especially when I'm sick. I mean, you're always sick though. You've been sick a lot. No, I haven't had colds a lot. I don't really have colds that often. I don't really get sick that often. Oh, you're just amazing. I don't know what it is. I, I don't get sick very often, but I do get like anxiety related. A lot of sickness. A lot of the times <laughs> when I get sick, it is related to anxiety and things going on in my life rather than actually like catching a bug from someone. Yeah, or this something. I definitely caught a bug. Yeah. So as long as I get a reasonable amount of sleep, don't stress out about things too much. Do the show every week. I think we're good. I think I, I think I'm usually pretty good. Stress out about a lot of things. You do stress about a lot of things, don't you? I got a busy life. So the the other thing I was going to ask about Destiny is that have you seen the demos of Destiny Two on 
uh, Google Stadia. I haven't, but I did. The only thing that's close to that is I did play when I first started like playing with the idea of getting a computer again. I tried out NVIDIA GeForce Now or whatever it is. Yes. And I played World of Warcraft on it. And it seemed fine. I was like, I could do this. But World of Warcraft isn't as like fast paced. It's not a it's not a twitchy. No. You need more of the twitchy. You need it needs to be able to understand the keys you press with the keyboard, but it doesn't need to like refresh as quickly. Interesting. So it wasn't really that much. I didn't I actually didn't notice any lag. I was like, I could totally do this. Yeah. And then I got a computer and I played it in like 240 FPS and I was like, wow, okay, never this mind. This is different, yes. This is different. Well, the thing about, the, the reason why I bring that up with Stadia is that the they just announced their kind of introductory pricing, yeah. which that their whole strategy is different. It's kind of odd. Um, Isn't it always with Google? Well, I, I think I understand. I've listened to a couple of podcasts talk about this and I've kind of come to an understanding of why they did it, but... What it, is it? it so like don't don't pay attention to anything. So people who, for people who don't know, like uh, don't Google know Stadia is this like cloud gaming service that Google yeah. is coming out with, and they announced it I think earlier this year. No, they yeah, I think they might have announced it a long time ago, but they really demoed it at their event. They demoed it at E three. There've been a lot more demos over the last couple. No, even of weeks. At, at the the Google event. Oh, the Google event, the I O yeah, event. IO. Yes. Um, but they were at E three as well, so they had more demos. So they announced the initial pricing for this. The way they're doing this is they're calling it the Founders Edition. Yeah. What this is, is that I have a link for it on here that we can see. Stadia, I got to like turn around. Stadia Founders Edition. Now, this... Oh, I saw. It's like yearly or something, right? It is... No, the difference is that it's not That's yearly. Destiny. Yes, Destiny. This is why I was going to ask well, you. are a launch partner with them. Part of... So, the Stadia Founders Edition is not just like a subscription. It comes with a bunch of stuff. So, it's $129. The $129 comes with... The controller, yeah, which the controller by itself is seventy dollars. It comes with a Chromecast Ultra, which is the four K one, which means you can literally plug that into anything that has an HDMI port, and boom, you have a computer. That by itself is sixty dollars. You get Destiny Two with the Shadow Keep extension. What? I don't even have that. Or it's like that. I mean, that in of itself is what? Like it's forty. It's the the DLC itself. Is 40. Uh, the DLC itself is forty, and then it's like sixty for the game. The the next yearly pass. Yeah, and then you get. Three months of the service, and then you get a buddy pass, which is essentially like a me, Greg and Albert go to the store and play video games together. Pass. But do you get like all the hardware for the buddy pass, or you just get the, the buddy pass subscription? Is a, is a subscription? Okay. So you can like give away a subscription to the thing, but you get all of that for one hundred twenty nine dollars. So it's very interesting because the price is going to turn some people off. And it's going to keep... So they're not going to have as many users of the thing initially right out of the gate. But I think that is what they're going for here. Right? So if you... Especially in a big, huge, very visible project like this, there is a real possibility that you could have too many people sign up on it and cause yourself problems just by that. Right? If they they announce this service and they say, we're going to start November 1st, Come all ye faithful for nine 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 a month. Then it's the floodgates. It's you know hundreds of thousands, millions of people potentially yeah, right yeah. out of the gate, right but out it's of the Google, jump. They should be able to handle it. They should be able to handle, it, but you don't know. There's always risk. There's always risk. You got enough beta testers in the world. Give away a give away a hundred thousand of these things. Remember, remember how you said the other day you were like, "There's no way to actually test something until you push it in production." Yeah, I did say that. There's no way to test something until you push it in production. So what happens here 
The only people that are going to buy this are the diehards. Not diehards necessarily, but people who are like really about the games and really about the service. People who really want the hardware. Right? So your, your introductory kind of load testing is going to be kind of a controlled amount, a little bit more predictable amount. You're going to have beta testers for the hardware. Right? You're going to get... People are going to buy it just for Destiny 2 Shadowcube. Potentially. They Potentially. did say that you're only able... To transfer characters into Stadia was what I heard. Yes. So this is the other thing. So I, I think this is actually a smart way to go launching the product. Mm-hmm. One, because the price is going to ke- keep the riffraff out. Riffraff. Two, it's going to be a pre- more predictable amount of initial load for them at the beginning of the service, which is very kind of risky and kind of you don't really know what's going on. And you a bunch of beta testers for the hardware. And it gives you the opportunity to prove that it's a good service and that it works. So I think that that part works. The part that I am not sure if it works is kind of the, the normal pricing that comes afterwards. So there's two different ways you can do this, right? You can do, there's a free tier, which you have to pay full price for every game. And then there's a 999 subscription tier, which you get to pick like from a larger subset of the games. Yeah. And then there's some games you have to buy. And some games you have to buy. So... There are a couple of problems with both of those tiers. Like one on the free tier, if the games on the free tier aren't any good, then the free tier is not worth anything because you literally have to pay full price for the games. And it's almost worse because are those games locked to Stadia? What happens when Google does their thing and shuts down their service for no reason? They do that all the time. They shut down services all the time. So what happens if I, if Greg goes in there and buys Destiny 2 Transfers all his people in, buys Shadowkeep, transfers all his people in because he's, you know, a broke podcaster and he just wanted to go for the free tier. And then a year later, they're like, oh, yeah, we're shutting down Stadia. Sorry. Yeah, I'd be pretty pissed. It's pretty tough. That's pretty tough. So that free tier, I don't know if that's going to be great value for people to do it that way. The 999 tier could work. Could work. The crux of whether or not it's going to work is what are the games? What are the games? If you're giving me every single AAA game the day it comes out on that 999, 999 tier, that's a, slam, that's a slam dunk. That's a home run. Every single person who plays video games will have this. Right? If you, even if you give me crappy games like you know Call of Duty or whatever, any game that's anticipated. Don't add them. Any game that's anticipated, and if it's on that 999 tier right off the jump, I mean, the price point would probably want to go up. I mean, if you're going to have more than one AAA game that you play per year, it's almost like they should probably, they should just charge like $10 a month per active game. And you can only rotate between like one game. And if you want two games at once, you got to pay 20 bucks. Do, do people really want to subscribe to an individual game though? If you play Destiny every day, you pay 10 bucks for it. If you pay, if you play World of Warcraft, you pay 10 bucks for yeah, it, but- 15 bucks for it. What happens when you stop paying the 10 bucks for it? Does all of it go away? No, you just can't play it until you pay again. Same thing as WoW. Your WoW characters are kept forever. And then if you don't pay, they just sit there and you can't play it. And then when you pay again, you're like, oh, I want to play this new expansion. You pay again and then you can play the same characters. I don't know if Google can enforce that onto the publishers though. Because the uh, the publishers are going to be like, no, I want $60 ahead every single time. Well, they've already negotiated some kind of deal where $10 a month is just yeah. games. So. They're trying to Netflix games, essentially. 
I think the in aggregate, like the belief is the same as Netflix did it, where you know Bungie's going to have more subscribers, giving them some amount of money per month than they are the sixty dollars that they get per purchase. Yes, as as that's the that's the selling point. As, as Costco has proven to us, a monthly subscription service when you deliver value to the customer makes a lot of sense and works really well and smooths out your revenues, especially for something like games where it's the, you're, there's a big spike when you sell it initially and then it kind of just peters off and it's very volatile. It should be a pretty easy sell to these publishers to say that, hey, I'll give you predictable income forever, every month. Yeah, I mean, I think it would make sense for them to sign up, put games on there, and then if there's some new game, then maybe it has like a $10 to activate in the first month situation. There's got to be some other kind of upsell. Like if a AAA game comes out, Cyberpunk 2077 comes out and it's on Stadia. If you want to play it in the first month, you got to pay 10 bucks that month just to play Cyberpunk. And yeah. then in aggregate, CD Projekt Red gets more money because so many people are going to pay the $10 to play that game for that one month. And it's not like it's a pre-order type of scam. It's a exclusive access to the full game. I was just yeah. thinking, this is a, this is a cool, did you see this animation? That's all Destiny, man. No, look at this animation though. Full screen into the devices. And it's smooth. That's really nice. That's a really nice piece of front end work right there. Bravo to whoever whoever did this site. There's a uh, there's a kind of a parallax effect in the middle of this page where there's a video that's playing that's full full screen. It's a full 16 by 9. And then as you scroll down, the size of the video shrinks down into the space of like a, a picture of a TV. And then well, a bunch I of wonder if that works on IE8. Probably not. I'm going to go ahead and say no. I'm going to go ahead and say it doesn't. Uh, that's pretty good. I think that just the idea that you can open up everybody who's on essentially a Chromebook or more powerful hardware can play all the games that they've always wanted to play now is pretty amazing stuff. I heard, speaking of what's on the screen right now, to play at 4K HDR with 5.1 surround sound is 1.5 terabytes in, in like, like 65 hours or something, something like that. Like that that's yeah. the number I saw. Do you know how long of gameplay 65 hours is? Um, that's an insane amount of gameplay. I play, that's a lot of gameplay. I mean, dude. it probably is more than I play. Yeah, that's a lot of gameplay. But I mean, you're talking. You're talking. Most people are probably going to do 800 gigabytes to a terabyte per month of gaming. Yeah, yeah. Talk about you're that gonna, ISP and that. You're going to have to have that neutrality going away. You're going to have to have a really big pipe for this. Yeah, they, they've already said that. But and, the thing is, but there's flip side to that though too. Is that like, if you're playing a 10 EP, you're fine. Yeah, but who wants to do that? I mean, the same person who only has like, you know, a small lower power laptop and wants to play video games. Or they just have a Chromecast on their TV and they don't want to spend $2,000 on a gaming computer. They can play the games now. Yeah, I know. I know it'll open things up, but um, yeah, I think the hardcore gamers might be the FPSers of the world that are trying to play like Crucible yeah. and, and Destiny might not like it. This is not, this is not for them. But this they is for the say casuals. It is. They say it is. It can be. To they an extent, say it's fast enough. To an extent, to maybe like the hardcore casuals. This is a, this is a squarely targeted at the person who is like, I would like to play some games, but I also do not have a gaming computer. Yeah. All right. Um, so that person is casual, but they could be someone who is who wants to play more seriously. And if it's time for them to play more seriously with more serious hardware, then they do that. But in the meantime. 
this is the only thing out there that's going to fill that space for them. What do you think the odds are that Google thinks that they can decrease the amount of latency over the internet over time and make this like 144 hertz instantaneous response, like one millisecond response time, like a monitor. It's just about response time. It's not about Hertz though, because Hertz is is hardware restricted. Like if your actual panel on your laptop doesn't actually do 144 Hertz, you're not going to be able to do it. Yeah, but even if... But the latency question is actually a good question. No, but like if they can actually, if you do have a 144 Hertz monitor, it's sending two and a half times as many frames back than this, which means it's two and a half times as much data. And... Um, it's gonna be l- lovely audio because I can't even talk for more than two seconds. Hey, why don't you just like not be sick, bro? You know, there's so many things in my life that I wish I could just change. So, anyways, um, yeah, like the it could get up to that. Just it's just a matter of data to have 144 frames. But the question is, will it actually have? Will they ever actually get the latency down enough to where? It's it's like almost the same as like a, a one millisecond response time on a monitor. And the second question would be, before you answer, what do you think the odds are? What do you think that they've actually evaluated whether or not they could have a more powerful piece of hardware in your house to do, so, like they could send a compressed set of data and then have that powerful device decompress it? Like theoretically, uh, if it gets faster, if the processing power increases, I see what you're saying. The Chromebook Ultra or the Chromecast Ultra could have a fast enough chip to do that decompression. You're talking about an eGPU. Yeah. Like, what do you think the odds are that they say, like, that is we're going to send you some physics data and then your, or some vectors or whatever, and then your, maybe it's not an eGPU. It's like a. Well, the eGPU can still do the calculations. It might not actually be spinning out the frames, but if you're sending a data, so you so you have two questions. Your first question is how quickly they because the answer to the first question is of course they'll be able to ramp up how fast ago. Of course. Well, you may be in remember how we talked about how some problems are just a matter of money? Yeah, that's one of those questions. Yeah, but one of the problems that's not a matter of money is the speed of light. The the speed at which data can transfer across a wire has a limit. Do you think that one millisecond is the speed of light? No, like, no, no. But that that's means, not even that assumes that your that assumes that your optical from the knock all the way to the Chromecast Ultra. If you have that, if they had Google Fiber to they're your not, house, they're and not worried fiber about to, all, all the way there. They're not even worried about getting all the way to your wall. They just have to make it available, and then the rest of the last mile is your problem. They said this is the whole point. No, of No, I know, this but screen, if they want though. it to really take off, like to where you don't actually, there's no compelling reason to buy a console. You pay this 129 bucks every year to Google or whatever, or once, and then $10 a month, $100 roughly a year, and you have a console. If that's what their goal is eventually, which I think the reason why they're doing this is A, because they think there's a business for it, and B, because they want to demonstrate that they actually have that kind of compression and technology. But I don't think that the technology that's behind this is only for Stadia. They're going to start using this on YouTube. Oh yeah, yeah. They're going to start using this for interactive. All this, a lot of this stuff. Experiences. Already, a lot of this stuff came from YouTube. Yeah. The stuff that they learned from like YouTube Live and uh, hosting events and things like that, right? They they played the inauguration. They've they've played like American presidential inaugurations. They've done uh, presidential debates. They've done all kinds of events on YouTube Live to yeah. see how they how quickly they can send you frames. 
But that's just how video. many people. That is just video. And then, yeah, but the other side of it is the the actual rendering of the screen is just a data center, and we know they know how to do that. Yeah. So these, this is just an ex, uh, a natural extension of their core competencies. Yeah. I mean, once it's actually just video at 4K, then it's just a matter of how quickly they can transfer it across the wire. So then the question is not about the transfer. It's about the video. But the thing is, is that one way or another, the transfer rate and the latency of the transfer rate matters only because you have a controller involved. That's the only reason why it matters. They can stream video to you relatively around the same amount of relatively instantaneously, theoretically with like plus or minus, usually it's like plus or minus 15 seconds, 10 to 15 seconds for video to be transferred over the web. But it's the fact that the controller has to actually interact immediately with the video. Yeah. And that's the part that's hard. And I, I think that the, I mean, that's a, that's a last mile thing. That's uh, again, the, the thing that. Yeah. But you know what fixes control. the last mile? Give Having me. an Xbox one. Maybe X. I don't think this. <laughs> like, I don't think the idea for this is to compete with Xbox or PlayStation. I, I think that those people are more hardcore than the target audience. But what this if product. this gets good enough? That's my point. What if it gets good enough it to could. where you don't need a console? It could. That'd be amazing. It would literally be the Netflix play, right? Where your your network effects and your cloud service gets good enough to where you don't need the traditional media anymore. That's a very good point. That is, I bet there's a lot of executives at Google that would that dream about that when they go to sleep at night. Well, I think that they would want it more than just for gaming. They want it for just the 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 fact that their business can produce, their teams can produce that high level of technology and they can use it for so many other uses. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. This is ultimately a, a data sending experiment that just happens technology. to be attached to something that requires high throughput, which is yes, gaming. Exactly. This is the same in the same way that Tesla is not a car company, it's a battery company. This is not a gaming product. This is a data product. Yeah, I agree. And, I think so too. And an infrastructure and a server robustness product. It, this is a proof of concept. Yeah, it's a it's a means to catalyze their networks. Yes. So, and they also have that end to end fiber between all the GCE clusters and all yep. that. So, I think the real problem becomes if say if you could get Google Fiber all the way to your house, and then in the future Google launches some revolutionary wireless technology or revolutionary wired technology that goes from the box to your television in some way, say it's fiber, I don't know, whatever, and that becomes prevalent, then you literally have the speed of light from the knock all the way, or even from the data center, potentially to the knock, switched over to your house, switched over to your TV. And then it's the speed of light. And yeah, you can you can transfer the video frames and the controller inputs from this game two-way at the speed of light between the data center and your house, yeah, it would be lower than a millisecond, obviously. Yeah, and then that would then you would never buy a console again and you would seriously consider getting rid of your computers. Yeah. Because their data center is your computer now. Yeah, because then eventually they can make, if this technology is open enough to where you can actually use this to play games, what's to stop them from running AI, ML, type workloads in this kind of cloud, transfer the data results back to you, and then all of a sudden start calculating whatever your home's, um, whatever you need to do, like predicting the amount of energy your house is using, predicting, how, like what is the future of internet to people that don't actually like code or play games? It's like the internet of things. And if that yes. stuff is fast enough, if it's fast enough to run this, your entire house could be they can wired. Run your house. They can run your house on the current internet connections. Yeah. Most of the time. I mean, a lot of times the technology kind of... But this this opens up the possibility of 
remote desktop computing. Oh being, yeah, that's true. Yeah, I didn't being think of a that. replacement of your actual. This local is already hardware. fast enough for remote desktop. Yeah, I mean, you don't really need to an extent. Yes, you don't really even need to have a computer at your house if no, you have that. No, you don't. But you can. I know oh. there is something about having the hardware locally and being able to run it locally. But imagine the future where your Chromecast Ultra is actually the equivalent of a, you know, an ARM V20 CPU with an integrated GPU running like 15 cores at like five nanometer. Good. And it's not, it's not running that data low. It's not doing like throughput input output to a drive either. It's all over the, over the yeah, wire. Yeah, and the data stored over your fiber connection and then your computer's, whatever processing power it needs to do what most people do just happens on a central Chromecast that works with as many TVs that are in your house and everybody has their own computer. It's just someone else's computer, man. But like, just like a Raspberry Pi or like a, one of the more powerful versions of those, the Chromecast Ultra theoretically could, like my phone could run a 4K monitor. So could yours, could run a 4K monitor doing regular desktop workloads like Excel and Google Sheets and all that. Yeah, and your actual throughput is actually not going from the local disk to the screen. It's going from the screen to Google back to your screen. Yeah, and then maybe the maybe the device, the Chromecast Ultra, is what's actually doing some of the processing. So then our phones are no longer computing devices. They're just like our TVs. They're receptacles for the frames. Yeah. There would be like some level of really... I mean, like what I, the One thing that I really think about is like, if they can do this in a data center, what does the average person who has a computer actually need any computing power for. Hence the Chromebooks. That's why Chromebooks are a thing. This, this, whole, this is the whole idea behind the Chromebooks. Yeah, but the and Chromebooks are limited because they don't let you actually run like Windows and a lot of people want to run Windows. But a lot of people, well, that's not the target market for Chromebooks. Well, what if it was? That's what I'm saying. It what if be. this opens up the market to where it could be the amount of throughput of data and the amount of processing power that's in the cloud and your personal CPU structure or whatever that's in the cloud, that's your not, dedicated little matter. sliver. Yeah is powerful enough to run Photoshop, to run video editing. If you need to like pump back your home video to like add some text over the whole thing, it's like done. Like yeah. computing becomes like a non-issue. But the question that I wonder is when, when um, this technology becomes so powerful that you can do all those workloads in the cloud, what happens when the processing technology of the, of the Chromecast Ultra catches up to where it can actually do those workloads. So then Google's technology chooses between the Chromecast Ultra and your house doing the work. And if it's too much, if that thing's too busy, then it just forwards it to the cloud, Yeah, forwards it back. But they can make the Chromecast Ultra the central hub of your entire house. Yeah, the future would be having more dumb pipe or dumb receptacles. Well, they're not necessarily dumb. It's almost like, if you think about it, it's almost like the Chromecast Ultra has become the world's largest mesh network. Yeah. Where the edge yeah. nodes are your house. Yeah. And then there's the backup of the Google data centers. But most of the workloads that most people are doing are being done on the Chromecast Ultra, which costs them nothing. And then there's some workloads that are forwarded back to the cloud and they charge you $100 a year for it. For load balancing. For whatever fees. Up I, mean, that, whatever. I mean, that's what it is essentially, right? You're load balancing between your local hardware and your cloud hardware. Yeah, and then you have like the Citrix back in the day, like... You know, like they had those little computers that were like, 
Tatrix, jeez. Well, yeah, like back in the back Oof. when I was in school, like in the in the two thousands, they had those. Oof. They were talking about having like a monitor with a keyboard and mouse that had no. There was like a little block on the back of yep. it, and that was really just like a Celeron or like some some yep. like really really low cash low power processor. But the amount of processors that we have now inside of these phones, and imagine what it's like in five ten years. Like you. If you had like a, you could even install like a, a sort of like a Google box that's like maybe the size of a Mac mini, a little bit bigger than a Chromecast, right? MacBook Pro. Like a Mac, like a Mac mini. Just say no, something like the that. Mac, that. The MacBook Pro is the one that has the problems with the thermals. So no, the but you don't want, you don't want you... a screen. I'm just saying like, imagine you have a little box that's made by Google. It's a little bit bigger than a Chromecast. It sits somewhere in your house that's not directly on the television and then Every single device in your house that's Chrome enabled, Chromecast enabled, is receiving frames from this. Is either receiving frames or sending workloads to it, and then those things are like some subset, some smaller version of that processor that have some intelligence, and they're just transcoding and transferring information back to that bigger box, and then that bigger box is sending certain workloads back to the to the yeah the network yeah. You don't need computers anymore. If you're Google, you charge Apple an arm and a leg for that, though. <laughs> Well, you don't, I mean, who cares about Apple? I'm just saying like, if you were using, if you were purely using Google products, because Apple will be doing whatever, Apple's going to be stuck in the mobile world forever. Like they're not, they, they see this as their value. But I think like this is, this is what's interesting about like technology arcs is that back in the day, they were talking about having like everybody's computer was like an edge node for SETI, you know, SETI at home or whatever. Yeah. And then everybody was like, I don't really need a computer anymore. And they all went to like laptops and iPads and whatever. So then you have this chance for the iPads and the phones and the screens and the TVs to just be monitors. Yes. And then you're going fully back 360 to the Citrix days where you have a box in your house that has some, depending on how much money you want to spend on it, it has some amount of cores supporting it. And they make it super simple. A family of four gets this one. A family of six gets this one. A family of two gets that. The family who does a lot more work, who's like maybe doing video editing or something, I don't know, whatever they're doing at home gets this bigger one, even if they only have two of them. Whatever it is, they have these very simple stages. You buy the $100 one, you buy the $200 one, you buy the $300 one, you buy $400 one, $500 one. That's already too many products. You buy like say three of them, good, better, best, and then ultra. And then Google's selling a $500 ultra box, $300 high level, $200. Say the lowest one is like 100. And then you buy a bunch of Chromecast to integrate with your TV because you don't have to build TVs. And then you slap a Chromecast on the back of your monitor Whatever that, monitor that's you your want, computer. and you have a computer, but then full blown computer. But then you wouldn't be able. To, my my mom wouldn't be able to tell the, tell the difference. My yeah. parents wouldn't be able to tell the difference. I would just say, here, type on this. Yeah, and you give them a keyboard. And as long as like Chrome Chrome OS expands enough, or whatever they're building out of the newer stuff, they're I think they're building something out of Rust or whatever it is they're building next. If that thing is actually capable of being like a real, what a business user would call a real power computer. I mean, oh, you're talking about uh, you're talking about Fuchsia. Yeah, like if that becomes something a little like Chrome OS was always like interesting because it was just Chrome. It was just Chrome, just a browser. You're like, okay, that's cool. It can do a lot of things. Browser apps are really cool, but it's not like a desktop. No. So Fuchsia is supposed to be a desktop. I think Fuchsia is supposed to be everything. The biggest thing with Fuchsia is that it is convergence. It is all it is everything Android, everything Chrome OS, and to an extent everything Linux as well. Which yeah. and and also all the kind of things that are around in the orbit of those three products also. So like 
how Chrome OS is starting to run some Windows apps, right? Linux, in certain cases, can run certain Windows apps. Those are kind of all in that orbit. And Fuchsia is supposed to be all of that in one operating system. Well, what so if you're that running f- one thing on, yeah. your, on, your, on your dumb phone. You're running one thing on your dumb uh, television. You're running one thing on your dumb laptop. And it's all the same OS. And it handles all the same things all the way around. Yeah. I That's just see it as like a, an iPad-like device. Yes. Of 13 inches or so. Could just be propped up next to a keyboard and a mouse. And as long as, like, even if what we do, even if I could, like, code on it, like, it was Linux-based and it could run VS Code, like, they partnered with Microsoft, and at least it could run VS Code. And, you know, they worked with Microsoft so that the Chrome Ultra situation would pass the workloads related to compiling code directly to Microsoft servers, to the Azure build tools in the cloud and all that, because maybe Google's like, I don't care about that. And then... Like there could be a future where every workload that you consider a power workload for a computer is no longer done on the edge node. It's done in the cloud. Yep. And then we don't need computers anymore. No. And that would be you pretty would cool. Ne- we would never buy. We still have mechanical keyboards though. We, we would totally sell mechanical keyboards because <laughs> that's the brilliance of them is that they're analog. They're about as analog as you can get in this digital age. But yes, that's true. We would no longer have CPUs. We would no longer have RAM. We would no longer have hard drives. We wouldn't even have like modems because like because t- Elon's space balloons are just gonna you know shine Wi-Fi down on us from above. So yeah, that is uh, that's I mean I could see something like that happening in the next five years. That's a completely plausible technology scenario. I would actually welcome that quite a bit because I I'm kind of tired of buying hardware. I think a lot of people are. I think a lot of people are. It's complicated. It's expensive. It goes out of date very quickly. You There's a lot of marketing it. around it. You got to maintain it. You got to manage the heat and like you got to buy desks and like all kinds of stuff. Yeah. So it is uh, an interesting thought about where things are going based on video games. Yeah. And then I can play Destiny wherever I want. You can play Destiny. You can play on your phone. I mean, the beautiful. only thing that's, you know, the thing that's really blocking all of this is internet. The internet speeds, the LTEs, the, yes, the 5Gs of the world, the cost of all of this, the amount of data that would be transferred between different nodes and all that. That's what's, I think ultimately that's what's going to become the limiting factor. 5G is supposed to be this like opening, eye opening thing that's supposed to increase the data caps that you have over wireless to be so extreme. But you know who's still going to charge you a ton of money per gigabyte? Is your ISP. Yep. And then you're going to be, and then this this utopian future where you have no computer is going to be fought by like, it's going to be fought by like, well, every time that my Chrome Ultra or my Chrome, whatever it's called, Cast Ultra forwards a workload to the cloud, it costs me $10. Oh, jeez. And then you're like, you're paying your thousands of dollars of computer costs per year just in forwarding costs. And then you're going to go, you're going to go into the settings of your device and you're going to be like, you know, only send 10% of my workloads to the cloud. That's all I can afford this year or whatever. Comcast is like, you only have 40 megabytes of compile left on your transfer. Yeah. And then you're going to be, and then all of a sudden you're like, oh, okay. And then that whole idea about having the local processor comes back around and you're like, okay. So now all I really have is like a server in my closet. (laughs) And then you're back full circle and you're like, I have a NAS and 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 a server in my closet and that's what does my work for me. And then all the people who are like, I told you so, we should have just stuck with computers in the first place. They're going to be like, I told you so. Yeah, that's true. I mean, by that time, I would predict that by that time, uh, 
climate change has destroyed the earth and we're all living underground anyway. But well, that's pretty negative. But yeah, I think that that's coming, that's coming first. But I think you make good points. <coughs> it is funny that you mention a NAS because I have been switching topics a little bit. I have been seriously thinking about building one. Just get, just do what everybody else does. And just buy a Synology. Just buy a Synology. <sighs> Stop, because they run everything, and you can just you. They have like a Linux OS that you can just install things to, and you can run custom things on it. To be fair, the Synologies are a really good product. Literally yeah, every single review I've, I've ever seen. The system is very flexible. It works really well. They are. They've really solved expensive. a lot of problems that you don't want to really deal expensive. with. My, I think the thing is that I have enough computer hardware laying around this place where all I have to do is buy a couple of hard drives, and I could be up and running. And all it would take me would be to install something like FreeNAS or Unraid or something. But then you have to manage it. And the whole point of Synology well, is that it just works. And it has all kinds of things it can run. FreeNAS, the, so the, the NAS You ever tried to install OpenVPN on a computer? I have. It is pretty complicated. That's not one of the things I would go for. The main things... No, I know. I'm just NAS. saying that's what happens with the free NASs of the world is you well, spend 12 I, years trying to figure out a shell script. Guess what? I've also Versus installed... Synology, you're like, boom, turn on. Oh, I've wow. built a router before as well using PFSense and that was not a walk in the park. But when I was done, it was glorious. It was glorious. Let me, tell you, let me tell you the ways. Let me tell you a story uh-huh. about this PFSense router that I built. Local DNS caching. Yeah. As in, your DNS is on your router box. Yeah. I was getting one millisecond DNS hits for sites I'd never been to in my life. Huh. Local update caching. Yeah. Remember that thing we talked about, about informed consent when Windows t- tries to shut down my computer? Imagine that taking 15 seconds of time and no restarts. <coughs> what, it would just hold on to the request it, for you to update? It, so if you had like one Windows box and it had to... Uh, update. It would do the update, but all the things I had to download to do the update, it would store it. Oh. And then the next Windows box had to go get it. Oh, oh, I'm so glad you asked for that. Here you go. Huh. From the local box. Local uh, antivirus. Ooh. So you're running, you're running antivirus on anything that comes in that box. Yeah. And then I believe there was a plugin for uh, what is accomplished by Pi-hole these days, which is uh, essentially ad blocking via DNS. Yeah. So it has like a, a a blacklist of ad servers, ad server DNSs, so that anytime any anything on your network tries to request one of those, it goes, "Oh, we're going to send you nothing." So not you're not ad blocking the browser, you're just not even making those calls. Those DNSs. One it's much faster, two you can't they can't detect it. Uh None of those ad people get any money from that. So those are the kind of fun things that you can do if you build a router. My purpose for building a NAS. What did you do with the router? You still using it? No, I that was before I moved to Los Angeles, and I had a lot of like toys back then, uh-huh. like just stuff like hanging around, and I had to get rid of a lot of it before I moved. But that one was very complicated to set up because like you had to know on your network cards like which port was named what, even though like I bought this network card out of a cardboard box at a yard sale for like fifty dollars, and like. All kinds of stuff. It was pretty tricky just because you're in essentially a shell to do the setup. There's no GUI and you have like kind of no commands. And this was before I was, uh, this was before I was pr- as well versed in Linux as I am now. So it was it was pretty complicated. That I part, took I took CCNA training when I was in high school. Oh really? Yeah. So oh. I like had to program Cisco routers. Oh, that's fun. Um, I've heard that some of the more uh, router optimized 
things like OpenWRT and like, uh, what's the other one? Tomato something or other. Sure. Tomato router. There are a couple of other setups that work a little bit better. PFSense is set up more as a, it's better for just like as a firewall. Like if you're just building a firewall in front of your modem or to, to lock off a network, it works really well. Just works really well just as a standalone firewall. Um, but I want I went off the deep end and built it up as like a I built up a switch because I had like multiple uh, four port network cards. I had it set up as a Wi-Fi access point. I had it set up as I had a couple of hard drives plugged into it, but that wasn't really like a NAS. It was just like a file that just like you could like point at and go to. It didn't do any of the fun NAS things like automated backups or anything like that. And I couldn't access it outside my network. Um, but it, it had some fun things. So my, my idea with going with the NAS is a similar thing where it's like, I can build this. I can do this. I can manage it. I can get a lot of fun things by managing it myself and doing it myself. So free NAS these days, which is probably what I would go with based on my research thus far, is probably what I would use and it's going to work for me for my use cases, right? I've got um, instant like local transfer. So my idea is that we're recording the show on my laptop. I save the files. I move them to my NAS. I go to my powerful desktop computer. I bring those files up right there. Because right now what I'm doing is I'm literally copying it into a hard drive, taking the hard drive to my computer, plugging it in and copying it back. It's too much. And I don't have backups. If there so. were two Macs, you could airdrop it. Sorry. How long does an airdrop take for four gigs of files? Not very long. It sends okay. it over two-way Wi-Fi. Where's the backup? On the new computer. I mean, or I could just have a NAS with the backups. I literally have enough parts for it. Like I have a <coughs> processor that is, albeit <coughs> older, but it would still work. It's a, I think it's a quad-core Phenom, Phenom, Phenom X4. It's one of the older AMD ones. I was gonna do weird stuff with the. It's just old stuff that I have. It's just stuff I have laying around. I actually have a a kit of sixteen gigs of DDR three RAM, which would be slower, but it's a plenty of RAM. I would just have to buy a handful of hard drives. I think at this point the hard drives I would go for. I don't know if I would go with the eight terabyte ones. I think the four terabyte ones are like the sweet spot of price per terabyte at this point. So I'd probably go. Four of those and go raid five so I'd have one one fallover. So I'd lose one. So I'd have three times four terabytes to be twelve terabytes of backup of storage. Which I don't see any time in my lifetime where I would fill that up. So I think it'd be okay. I might need a network card or I might need a like a raid card. Don't know. I think one of the motherboards I have in there would have enough ports for that. I think they'd be fast enough. I think it'd be okay. But yeah, all I'd have to do is buy the drives and maybe... Oh, I do have to buy a power supply. That's the only thing. So I have all the hardware already. If I have like, you know, an afternoon on the weekend or sometime, I can get everything set up. I have my NAS. I could use it as a media server, right? Because I've got a bunch of Blu-rays I could rip and keep those locally. I want to be able to access it. I want it to be like... You remember how we were talking about Resilio Sync the other day? And Maybe. how it was like torrenting and like I needed peers and stuff. I would want that to be the one true peer, right? The central repository of all the things that I could access from wherever, wherever. So I have a lot of ideas. These are, these are ideas. Um, I don't know if I'm going to pull the trigger on it yet, but 
What you, the only thing you have to buy is what? Like a the hard small drives. computer and the hard drives? I, I would literally, all I would have to do is buy the power supply and the hard drives. That's it. I have everything else. I have a case, I have a motherboard, CPU, RAM, all the cables. But you don't want platter drives. So you'd have to get faster drives like SSDs. No, for you know what a four terabyte SSD goes for these days? Well, you don't really need four terabytes. You can start with like the idea behind buying that much is that you don't ever want to you, you don't ever want to run out. You just add more drives, format them. You know how to do all that. You just put them in there. I think four four terabyte splitting drives would be fine. And they're they're actually really cheap. Is why I went for that. A four terabyte drive. You can get a four terabyte drive for like eighty dollars these days. Yeah, but then you got to deal with the write speeds. I mean, I guess the internet speed it's is just, probably slow. It's just storage. Yeah, I mean, it's still, when you're trying to send the data to it off that laptop, you still got to deal with the slow platter speed plus it's the network fine. latency. It's fine. I don't know. Fine. It just feels like a more robust solution. It feels like the kind of nerdy thing that we should be talking about on the show, and I would be doing so. Yeah, maybe. Well, we'll we'll see. We'll we'll keep the show updated on what we're doing there. Yeah. I'll keep a show interested. Greg, I'm pretty close to pre-ordering Stadia. What do you think? Should we do it? Should we split it? Uh, what do you think? How do you split it if we only have... What if I just pay for it and then like I'll play for a little, I'll play a little bit and you play a little bit. It's not shipping until November. I mean, I can... Yeah, we can figure that out by then, yeah. I don't know how long they're taking the pre-orders for. Probably until people stop paying the money. I don't know. This is interesting because you have a 4K TV, right? No, I don't. Well, you have a 4K monitor. I have 4K monitor. So you could plug the Chromecast Ultra into your 4K monitor. Yeah. So we could do it that way. I could test it out with my first generation Chromecast on my 1080p television, see how it works, see how that works. So we can do a little bit of hardware testing. We could be like reviewers. Yeah. We could be, we could be cool people who do things like that, so... We'll 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 uh, we'll look into that a little bit more. We'll see how that goes. Yeah, Greg, do you have a pick? Uh <laughs> I have had such a crazy time. I do no, I do not. You don't have any picks? I have just no. I've been doing. I've been insane right now. No. Okay. I haven't thought of anything. I haven't done anything. How about I do two picks? You could do two picks. I totally. Do, I will do two picks. First pick. First pick. We're gonna keep the Netflix streak going. There's three weeks in a row we've picked stuff on Netflix. I watched a show called What If? Yeah. With Renee Zellweger. Oh, man. Yeah. Renee Zellweger in 2019 is not Jerry Maguire, Renee Zellweger. No, it's not. I've seen She's her. very not. She, like, her face actually moves. I saw Bridget Jones, like, two or something. I don't know. She, her face actually moves when she emotes now. It's kind of crazy. Yeah. Anyway, What If? is a story about a very powerful, uh, very cunning and conniving venture capitalist named Anne Montgomery. Played by Renee Zellweger. And she basically messes with a bunch of people's lives. And it is extremely dramatic. So dramatic. So many twists and turns and all kinds of stuff going on. And there's a, all, just all kinds of stuff. All kinds of crazy stuff going on. And Renee Zellweger's in it. I don't know if I mentioned that, but Renee Zellweger, she's in, in the show. Mm-hmm. She appears in the show. Yeah. And she's crazy in the show. She does a fantastic job. But if you are into more dramatic fare, and not the fun light stuff that we've been talking about the last couple of weeks, then go check that one out. 
It's been out for, I think, like two weeks, maybe three weeks on Netflix. So we'll have a link to that in the show notes. Second pick, and this one just came off the top of my, top of my head. We've been talking about keyboards a little bit on the show, about keyboards and such. Uh, there's a shop uh, from which I've bought keyboard supplies from in the past. They're in Tennessee, and they're called Novel Keys. Novelkeys.xyz. They're an XYZ. They probably can get the .com. I bought a couple of things from them before. Uh, I bought a pack of a couple of packs of switches uh, for my keyboard in there. The click, they're real clicky ones that you clicked on earlier. Yeah, real, real nice ones. The Kalebox Navies, those are great. Um, but they have all kinds of stuff, and it's just run by one guy uh, in Tennessee, and he has all kinds of stuff that usually is pretty tricky to buy in the United States because it usually comes from overseas. So he does a great job of getting getting the good stuff for us. And so I want to shout him out. We'll have links to him in the show notes. Uh, they have like all kinds of limited edition desk pads and switches and all kinds of stuff. And he usually posts an update of like what he's got coming in in stock and any kind of new products coming in too. So we'll have links to him in the show notes. Definitely yep. worth checking out if you're into the keyboard game. Yeah, that's cool. It's good stuff. So uh, one last note before we go, we are going to take one week off. Uh-huh. We're missing one week. Just one. We've done it before. It's not a big deal. For me, gone one week. Uh, but we'll be back the week after that uh, with a brand new episode. So just hold tight. Uh-huh. It's not that long. It's just one week. It'll Greg's life is Greg's life is very crazy. Because Greg's life is very crazy. But you know, we'll be we'll be back soon. Don't worry. We're not we're not quitting. We're not giving up or anything. We would never do that to you guys. So we'll be back soon. You can find Greg on the internet at Gorski on Twitter. I am at Al Park on Twitter. The show is at a public function on Twitter. We pub. Post there mm-hmm. every time a new episode comes out. It's usually very early in the morning, Tuesday mornings, very early. Um, if you'd like to listen to us on the web, we're at publicfunction.show. This is episode 27, mm-hmm. 27th episode. Still know what the title is. A couple, couple good options, but we'll, we'll figure that one out. Greg coughs the whole time. Greg coughs every 14 seconds. 14 seconds. Publicfunction.show backslash 027 is where you will find this one. We're also on dev.2 backslash public function. Shout out to Ben Halpern for letting us stay on their, on their podcast roles with all the most amazing podcasts in the world on, on that, on that very good website. What else? What else? You can find us on the web. You can email us from the web. Mm-hmm. Public function show backslash contact. You can email us. Hello at public show. I will respond to you personally. If you give us compliments, we will definitely read them. We would love to read some compliments. Mm-hmm. We're also on Discord. We'll have a link in the show notes. Join us there. We're having a, having a good time. You can chat with us. Sometimes I post funny pictures of things. Sometimes I post things, pictures of things I'm working on that are related to the show. The only way you'll find out is if you go to the Discord. So check that out there. Greg, anything else for us? No, I've got no. Awesome. <laughs> we will not see you next week. We'll see you the week after next week. Yep. Peace. Yeah. We are back in Santa Monica. Oh, man. Back. Back like we never left. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, Greg, I was going to ask you this last week yeah. because you and I both have had problems with coughing on the show. Yeah. What do you think about getting mute switches?
Is that just something I just like push and I just mute myself? There's a couple of different setups, right? So uh, there's the latching and the non-latching kind. So the latching kind is you just click it and you're muted. Mm-hmm. And then you click it again and then you're unmuted. Yeah. So it's like pop it. So pop it's it. like pop it, right? The non-latching kind is you have to hold it down. And only during the period of time that you were holding it down mm-hmm. is when you're muted. So what happens if I cough and your mic picks it up? Well, that's we'd a have to both that's, go like this. That's a different conversation. That's let's buy some more expensive, nice microphones and studio that is well treatments to block all that sound. Can they actually block me coughing? It, it can block you coughing in my microphone. Yeah. Mm. Mm-hmm. Seems like you got some work to do. I mean, it just takes money. No, everything just takes money. Everything's just say, well, this is an interesting thing because the thing about solving problems is that being able to solve a problem doesn't necessarily mean you have come up with an actual solution to the problem. Mm. A lot of the times, and this is something that I think the edges of science has to do with Are you with bootying a lot. us right now? No, I'm saying that <laughs> a lot of the times figuring out the solution to a problem is just figuring out whether or not a solution is within the realm of possibility mm-hmm. and what that possibility is, right? So for us with our, our mute problem and our coughing problem, that is a solvable problem. The input to this solvable, the function of the solvable problem is money and the output is a solved problem. We know this, right? But things like measuring infinity yeah. or measuring, you know, the speed of like an accelerated speed of light of some, some sort of what mass would do at the actual speed of light. Stuff like that is like, we literally don't even have numbers big enough to explain these things. I have a, I have a theory for you. What's your theory? Avengers, infinity cough. <laughs> Infinity call. That's beautiful. I love it. Yeah. Hashtag, hashtag title. Yeah. Hashtag title. Do you see that there's going to be another adventure game? I saw this. It looks terrible. I don't... I've never... I got to play something off the ground. I never play... I've never the played... movie one. games, right? I don't ever do that either. I've only played Spider-Man, which is really good. The, the newest one. The PlayStation one. PlayStation right, because you can take selfies. I mean, that's not why it's good. But, but. it's also not like <laughs> the multiverse version of it. A multiverse game, I think, would actually be really good. I mean, it, it you you can have different costumes for him, but they're and they are very different. But there, it's not really like there's more than one version of the character in the game. Yeah, you know? but you can be like 1920s Spider-Man dude. But you're not an actual. You're not actually Nick Mulvaney. No. So that's different. No, I mean, but you can you can act like you're a 1920s Spider-Man and take selfies. You can always take selfies. But you're That's always, your goal. You can always but take selfies. you're always in New York, right? Yeah, you're always in modern day New York. Who are the bad guys? I mean, they don't change to like mobsters with, you know, Tommy guns, but... Is that Wilson Fisk? Yeah, uh, the the main, the first bad guy is the big dude. Whatever his name. I don't know, you don't know the Spider-Man stuff? It's like the the really big, fat, like really strong guy. Sounds like Bane. No, it's not Bane. It's a... Uh, I don't know. So the the, the one main from villain, the, the one from the Spider Verse movie, is Wilson Fisk, who is also the bad guy in the Daredevil show series on Netflix. It might be Fisk. Sounds familiar. That's his like human person name. I think his bad guy name was like Kingpin or something like that. Yes, I think that's who it. But is. his caricature on the yeah Kingpin on the movie on the Spider Verse movie was amazing because that is what I would imagine Wilson Fisk to actually look like in real life. Even though, I guess. You could literally take Vincent D'Onofrio, who played Wilson Fisk in the Daredevil show, and if you were like, hey, draw a caricature of Vincent D'Onofrio dressed as Wilson Fisk, you would come pretty close to what he looked like in the Spider-Verse movie, which is kind of amazing. Stuff like that makes me really happy where like 
art art imitates life, mm. imitates art, and it all kind of comes together. Yeah. Pretty amazing stuff. It's the circle of comic life. The circle of comics. Mm-hmm. Who are the other bad guys in the, in the... I've only played it up to... I think Fisk is the enemy in the beginning. Right. But I don't think he's the enemy of the whole game. Like he gets, he gets like trapped and arrested like early in the game. There's got to be someone else. I'm sure, but I, you know, I was playing Destiny. There's got to be someone else. I would say that in terms of quote-unquote movie games, the best ones by far have been the Arkham series. I've heard this. Because those are loosely related, not on the Dark Knight series of Batman games, but they are related to the... um, I've heard theories of like they are supposed to combine the Michael Keaton, Val Kilmer... George Clooney era of Batman into like this thing and then add the little dark twist on it. Yeah. I've heard so, that. I don't think that they are directly related. How many coughs to am I going to do this whole thing? I don't know. We, we should just order these, uh, order these meat switches like right now. Well, and then you're in charge of hardware. I mean, we should order a lot of things. We could just spend money on stuff. Again, this is a problem that's solvable by money. Yeah, everything, everything. I'm pretty sure all, there's a lot of problems in life that are related to anything technical that are solved with money. Yes, that's true. You could have a better phone if you just bought an iPhone. Just skip over that. Just keep going. Not, not even, not even gonna respond to that. Yeah, don't. It's, don't. A, it's an inferior phone. Uh, I know. Well, the Pixel Four. Apparently, somebody got a, a copy of the, uh, like the case mock-up. Yeah. And like me, it's like out. Like somebody has an. Actual I saw one. it. It has two cameras on the back. It has two like cameras, the and they're square, and the shape is pretty much the same. And I think it still has the notch. I don't know phones are done. I'm kind of I'm kind of over phones. I'm, I'm post phone. Your post phone life. I mean, I love my phone. Um, it does exactly what it needs to do. The next iPhone supposedly is gonna have night mode. Okay, welcome to my phone from last year. Yeah, welcome to. I don't know. There's a there's everything a, else about an iPhone is better. Anyways, move on. It's almost like laptops, right? There's like it's like peak laptop. It's yeah. The only how far you can get with the laptops, like yeah, your your chips or whatever, getting five to eight percent faster every year, but if you can't balance out the heat, doesn't matter. So you can't take the heat, get off the phone. Oh, get it off. Get out of your lab. Get it, get it out of here. 